Good morning, good morning. How are you? Welcome to Desert Breeze. Thanks for being here. I'm Pastor Scott. Glad you're here. Yeah, who? I'm glad you're not here to worship me. <laughs> so I get the awesome privilege and, believe me, the very humbling task of bringing God's Word to you today. And so we're continuing in our Vintage Jesus series, the Jesus that most people miss. And man, it's no more apparent that we miss Jesus in this commercialized Christmas season. Isn't that true? So uh, what a timely message it is. Today, our big question is, why should we worship him? And so we're going to look at that. And, um, you know, I, uh, because of the busyness of the season, it was extra hard. This is probably one of the hardest time, hardest work that I've done on a message, and so that'll tell you a little bit about my worship. But um, I think uh, it was difficult, and I needed a lot of God's help uh, to understand really what worship is all about, and I hope that uh, with his help that, uh, uh, that it'll make sense. And so if I needed a lot of help putting this together, I know that you're going to need some help listening to it and processing it. So what do you say we pray? God, thank you so much for your love for us, uh, that you have given us a place to come and worship, and we don't worship this place, we worship you. God, you have made us to be worshipers, that in that, through your mercies, we would worship and glorify you with our, all of our lives, not just here on Sundays. And so, God, we, we fall short of that, and we wander away and look to different things for our satisfaction. And so, God, we repent and we ask for your forgiveness for looking to your creation for our satisfaction and worship instead of finding it in the one that you sent to redeem us. And so by this redemption through Christ, God, we pray that you would teach us about this spirit that you've given us, that of this truth that you've brought us through Christ, and by your Holy Spirit, we ask you to transform us by the renewing of our minds. So please, we beg you to do that here for us this morning. And as we leave here, we pray that you would help us to continue in testing and approving our hearts in the ways that we worship and guide us in the ways that we ought to be worshiping. And that's only for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to sit down because I won't last standing. <laughs> so um, if you have your Bibles with you, that's great. If you don't, all the scriptures are going to be up on the screen. Um, we're going to jump all over the place today, so you can try and keep up if you want to. Uh, we are going to hang out a little bit in Romans and in Acts. They're neighboring books in the New Testament. So if you want to give yourself a little finger marker there, you can do so. And so why should we worship him? That's the big question, and I think that we should... Start at the beginning, it's always a good place to start, right? So God's first commandment, does anybody know what that is? You should have no other gods before me, so I think the idea of worship is probably pretty important to God, wouldn't you say? And so it's not a stretch to say gods will be worshipped, right? That's what people do with gods. And so knowing us, God who made us, knows our tendencies not to do what he tells us, but to do what we feel like. Uh, he tells us not to have any gods before him. So he's to be worshipped above all. And so how do we do that? Well, we should look to Scripture first and foremost when we want to know what uh, 
God has for us in our lives. John 4.24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so this God is spirit is speaking of the triune God, the, the real big G God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the almighty. And so what this telling us is to truly worship him who is the true God. We have to do that in a particular way, and that's in spirit and in truth. So our first fill in it is God is spirit, and God has given us a spirit. And again, we look to scripture for what that looks like. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So if we were made in God's image, it's likely in this likeness that he's given us a spirit as well. But we don't have to guess about that. God gives us a, a, whole, a whole book of his, his truths. And so we look to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so when you translate into different languages, there's many words that are synonymous with the word spirit, and they describe God, they describe his spirit, they describe his breath. And this says that he breathed into us the breath of life. So he has given us life through his spirit. And it goes on to say, and the man became a living creature. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a creature. <laughs> That's important to know. But God, uh, Job knew this, and uh, Job 33, 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, Job is a human being, right? And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So look, look at this dynamic of creatures. So we're made in God's image. He breathed life into us. He gave us a spirit. So I've never met a person on earth that was not made in the image of God, whether they're a believer or not a believer. And that kind of points to this creature idea. And so God giving us all who walk on the face of this word, uh, earth a spirit, um, the spirit of man is particularly the conscious element of us continually perceiving, continually reflecting, continually feeling, and continuing, continually desiring. So God has made us a particular way that we have feelings and perceptions and desires and reflections, we daydream and stuff. So I've never met a person that in, not in every waking moment that they're not feeling something or desiring something or thinking about something or perceiving something. And so we are hardwired through God's spirit to, to worship. And so worship is something that we can turn on and off. And so our second point, number two, is we worship because we are worshipers, not the other way around. You might heard it said of sin that we don't sin, or we're not sinners because we sin. We're sinners, and sin is what sinners do. And it's the same for worship, is that we are worshipers, therefore we worship, not the other way around. And so... Um, I think we've just taken the idea of worship, even as, as Christians, we, people might ask us, yeah, so where do you worship? Or do you worship? In a, of course, I'm a Christian, I worship. 
Well, the truth is, is that you're a human being and you worship, and we've reduced the idea of worship to things that it's not. And it's not something that just Christians or spiritual people do, right? And it's not just something that happens for an hour and a half on Saturday or Sunday or whatever day of the week it might be. Yes, we come here and we worship, but it's not just in that hour and a half. We worship all week long, every day of the week. And so it's also not a style of music. And we're going to talk about our flesh and, and how we worship. We worship in many different ways. And so we can even come here to church and think that we're worshipers or spiritual by coming to church or singing songs or even by what we wear. It's not something that we wear or possess. You know, if you go out of the house without your cross or your saint or the dashboard Jesus glue dries up and he falls off, oh no, I'm going to get a wreck. You're worshiping that thing instead of the true God that it represents. And so what we do possess represents what we worship. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But what about music? What about coming to church? We can just check the church box and come in and sing songs. But if we do it in our flesh or just to get it out of the way or as a task so that God will love us, we're going to turn it into this. Can't get away from this heart of worship Cause it's all about me It's all about me, Jesus I'm sorry, God, but that's just the way it is Cause it's all about me You see what I'm saying? We can't just go through the motions because it's not about us. We don't sing songs for us. Many of the worship songs you hear on what's called Christian radio are more about the worshiper than the God we're supposed to be worshiping. We get it backwards. So we have to understand what worship is, and it's so much bigger than we know it is. And I hope God reveals that through his spirit to us all today. Well, Why is it such a problem for us? It's because we have an age-old flesh problem. So... The first human beings created in God's image, who God breathed life into and gave his spirit, uh, Adam and Eve, they entered into what's called the fall. And so all of us who came after Adam and Eve, we are born of Adam and Eve, and so we are born of the flesh. John 3, 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And when the fall happened, something particular happened, according to our spirit, is that we, we encountered and experienced spiritual separation from God. And because God is holy and we are not, his spirit can have no part with our spirit. Genesis 6.3 says, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. And so we've got a huge problem got a huge problem. Um, but God answers that problem. But he doesn't do it by eliminating his law. The Ten Commandments are God's law, and his holiness requires that law. So when we can't live up to the law, and by the way, when you try and live up to the law through your flesh, it just leads to sin and death. God's not going to eliminate the law, so we need a way to for the law to be fulfilled. And that's our fill-in number three. The only way 
to worship God is in spirit and in truth. That's the right spirit and the right truth in, or excuse me, and that is through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. I missed that feeling last night, so you got it today. You guys got a better service than last night. So God has given us his own son to free us from the law of sin and death, and Jesus comes and give us, gives us the spirit of life. So like I said, just coming to church and just singing songs isn't our problem, and even listening to this message, this is just information. If you don't have the right spirit and the right truth, and if you don't have Jesus, you're not going to get it. We don't have an information problem. We don't have an attendance problem. We have a flesh problem. But God is so amazing. He loves us so much. He, what he expects of us, he accomplishes for us and in us. And let's look at Romans chapter 8. Amazing, amazing scripture. And I pray right now that God would just reveal himself to you and what he's done for you in this. I will read beginning in verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh in order to, in order that, check this out, the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled. Yes! Where? In us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their things on the minds, set set. Excuse, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the things of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the things of the Spirit is life and peace. That's awesome. But in our flesh, we're hostile towards God. In fact, we don't even have the capacity to worship God without the right spirit and the right truth through Jesus Christ because it goes on to say, for the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what does that mean? It means that if we try and worship God without Christ, who's done so much for us, who is God in the flesh come down to us to die on a cross for us? And we say, thanks God, but I'm just going to earn my way into heaven. That is hostile towards God and what he's done for you and what he's given you and what it costs him. And we can't live up to the law without anything but Christ. And so... It goes on to say, however, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the, his spirit who dwells in you. We have a huge flesh problem, but God's given us an even bigger, bigger answer through Christ. And there's no better life 
than one worshiping and pursuing the worship of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's amazing. So we have to understand this, these things about our spirit and, and truth. Number four, our spirit is the most important part of us that makes us like God and allows us to connect to God. But there's a reason why we have our spirit, because through it is what flows what we call truth. You have to understand about truth that truth belongs to God. Truth is not subject, it's not subjective, it's not based on feelings and tastes and opinions. Subjective information is not going to help us find the sweet spot in worshiping God. And so number five, our truth, wherever we might get it, is what flows through our connection with God, our spirit, and whatever that truth might be, it will either bring us life or bring us death. So I hope that this idea of worship is just expanding in your heart and in your mind. And if it's not, I want to really dig into the word. And this really, really helped me uh, understand what truly, uh, how it is that we worship or what happens in us when we worship. So I'm going to look at three different languages, the Old English, the Latin, and the Greek. And we're going to talk about what the word worship actually means. First, the Old English. The word worship is broke up, broken up into two words, worth and ship. The word worth comes from uh, what we give value to or what has value. Uh, and so if you think of something that has value, it's worthy. And so value comes in a couple of different ways. Either something has value because of some standard, like gold has a particular dollar value because of what the gold standard says. So the gold standard gives it, it, gives it its measure of value. But there's also things that we give value to that might not be worth much. And so that's why there's disparity between, you know, if someone says, well, I just can't get rid of that thing, and people go, well, it's just this or that. But no, it has value to us. It might be a picture. It might be a purse. It might be a puppy with a pedigree. Or a pickup. Eee be talking about my pickup. It might even be a pastor. Yeah. And so let's look at the word ship. The word ship means to give an office or a position to something or someone. And so if we think about the word championship, a champion is someone who has a particular value based on their performance or what they can accomplish, right? And so because they're champions, if they're competing and they win, they're given a particular position. It's usually first place. So they have the office of being champions. And so that's where the word championship comes from. And so let me just paint this picture that those things that have value to us, we give position and office to them in our lives. And that's how we worship them. So let's work, look at the Latin word. The Latin word for worship is cultus. And cultus is the word that we get the word cult and the word cultivate from. 
So when we first think of cult, we think bad, right? We think bad worship like Reverend Moon and those nut jobs and stuff in Texas that burn buildings and yeah, David Koresh and stuff. It is certainly bad, but why? It's not the word that's bad, it's how they live out the word because what's related between the word cult and cultivate is to worship means to cultivate reverence for something. And when you cultivate something, it's an ongoing process and it grows. And so to cultivate reverence means that we cultivate something that we give value to and it has an ongoing and growing effect in our lives. So let's put these Old English word and the Latin word together. So those things that we give value to, we give office to and authority in our lives and we cultivate reference for that person or those things and it has an ongoing effect in our lives. Do you see how worship and the idea of worship is so much more than we've made it out to be? Well, let's look at the word in Greek, the word that is worship in many of the scriptures that we're looking at today. It's the word latreia, and it's where we get the suffix, that's the end of a word, for a, it's latrie, and latri, a latrie is the worship of something. So when we put a word on the front, front of latrie, it's the worship of that thing. So what is idolatry? It's the worship of idols. There's another suffix that's ology, it's the study of something, and so anthropology is the study of human beings. So what is anthropolatry? The worship of human beings. How about this one? Phoenix cardinalatry. <laughs> yes, it's the worship of the Phoenix cardinals. I see you Phoenix cardinalaters out there with your jerseys and your bumper stickers and your window stickers. That's a cult. But there's many cults. I see some Phoenix or some Patriots jerseys and Seahawks and isn't that funny? But what's not funny is what we do with worship. And this word latreia, where we get latri from, also we get the Greek word latris. And a latris is a servant. And so Number six is what we worship, we serve. And so let's put it all together. What we give value to, we give office to in our lives. And what we give office to, we cultivate reverence for, and it has an ongoing effect in our lives. And that effect is our service, being servants to those things. Wow. Worship is huge, and we can't help but worship. And so to finish out the thought in number six, what we worship, we serve, and our satisfaction in life is directly related to the capacity of the God or the gods that we serve. See how important it is to understand how we worship and what we worship? We get ourselves into what I will call the vain cycle of dissatisfaction. You might have heard it said that sin is what we do when we're dissatisfied with God or what he has for us. And I believe that that's true. But what's also true is the first commandment that we talked about, you shall have no other gods before me. And we can look at that as an aspiration, but I want us to look at it as a fact. 
We shall have no other gods before the real God because there are no other gods besides the real God. There's no other God that has breathed life into you that has given you his spirit. And so those other gods that we serve and worship, we have no spiritual connection with that. Nothing else has given us life. But consciously we worship them anyways because of our perceptions and our reflections and our feelings and our desire have been conformed about what the world says, not what God's word says. And so what happens? We will be dissatisfied when our spirit and our truth are slaves to anything but God and the cycle starts all over again and we, and we sin against God or a God when we're not satisfied with that God. And it doesn't have to be just the God. We do it all the time. Just talk to anybody in any support group. They'll tell you that when you're dissatisfied with one thing that you're worshiping, you'll just turn to another thing. And the cycle happens over and over and over and over again. It's the worship cycle. And it can't be satisfied anywhere but in Christ. So there's this thing that I will call transformational worship. It's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let's dig into this. This is Paul speaking to the beloved in Rome. That's what it says in the first chapter. And so he's talking to individual, the beloved of God in Rome. So he's talking to people who are believers in God. So he's talking to individuals, but he's also talking to a group of people. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The NASB says, your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and perfect, or excuse me, good and acceptable and perfect. So what does it take to enter into transformational worship? We're going to dissect this scripture. The first thing that screams off the page is God's mercies. And God's mercies are plural. It's one thing to have God's mercy, but he didn't send Jesus to just die on the cross for us and say, okay, good luck from here with your flesh. No, he resurrected from the dead that we would have new mercies. Lamentations 3 says... His mercies are endless, and we have new mercies every morning. If he's given us breath, every breath that we take is a product of his mercy. So we have opportunity after opportunity, day after day after day after day, to know him, to give him glory through the way we live our lives, that he would renew our minds in that process of worship. And Psalms 136 says over and over and over again, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. And it does. And so next it tells us to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is both individually and corporately. And in the parentheses on your notes, it says the three T's. What are the three T's? There are time, our talents, and our treasures. Time. Raise your hand if you're here. I'm pretty sure you woke up this morning, you're here, you've been given time. That's mercy. God's given you time. He's given you a life to live. He's given you a heartbeat in your chest. And so we're supposed to offer our bodies, all of us, our time, our talents. He's wired you in a particular way to do a particular thing. He's made no one else 
like you on this planet Earth. He's got something for you to do through your life to bring glory to Him. And He's also given us this thing in this world called commerce that we can take our time and take our talents and earn treasures that we might bring Him glory, not only by being generous with other people, but we can do things like provide for our family. We can have a house. We can live in a neighborhood where we can connect with other people and have community. That's all through time, talents, and treasures. And we're supposed to give, uh, present. Present is, is when you present something, you don't hide part of it. You can't have your spiritual life over here and your secular life over here. It's all one worship life. And so we're supposed to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice gives over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, when a sacrifice was given, it was brought, it was killed, and it was dead. And then it was eaten by the priest and whoever else, and it was gone. No, this is a daily living sacrifice through our time, talents, and our treasures, not only individually, but corporately. Paul talking to the beloved of God in Rome, the church, we're supposed to together bring our time, talents, and treasures together, and in worship to him, Give money to the church so his work could be accomplished in the church and in the church to the community and within the church to other people. That we could have a building and lights and a sound system and things like that. And those things come through our time, talents, and treasures. You're supposed to offer yourself as volunteers to contribute to his work, whatever he's doing in here, so that you can bless people with your time, talents, and treasure. And that's a collective effort within his body this body of believers is called the church, and so presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice comes through presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice individually and corporately. So next it says, this is your spiritual service of worship, and we've already said that we serve and sacrifice for what we worship. Have you ever wondered why they call this a church service? It's because we come and we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, and we serve God by offering ourselves in service, not only to what's going on around here, but we offer ourselves to hear his word, to pray, not only to him, but for one another, to offer what he's given us in our bodies to, to be able to sing. And so that's all service to God through the sacrifices uh, that we offer to him, and if everything came from him, how much of a sacrifice really is it? And so next to give us a negative and a positive. It says, do not be conformed, but instead be transformed. We'll talk about both of those. Do not be conformed to this world. What this looks like is searching for your identity in the world's version of you through the exchange of God's truth about you for a lie. It's our flesh problem. We can't come in here and worship through the world's identity and look good and try and look spiritual. We have to know what God says about us. We're sinners. Oh, I can't worship. No, we're sinners saved by grace. We're sinners saved by grace. And that's God's truth about us. And, and because of that, we don't need to be conformed by the world. We are created by a holy and righteous God who gives us his son's righteousness. And it says, instead, be transformed by the renewal, renewing of your minds. And this process is receiving and living out a new identity in God's truth through God's spirit, 
made possible through the exchange of your sin debt for Christ's righteousness. Christ takes our sin debt from us, but we have to give him our flesh to do that. And so it's this thing called repentance, and that's only possible through God's mercies, through our living sacrifice, through the exchanging of what the world says by what God says, his spirit and his truth. And it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. It's supernatural. It's something that happens in us. Renewing our minds happens in us. But because we're still a little bit fleshy, we drift. We drift away from God. Even in church, we drift away from God. So we have to be tested, and that's what it goes on to tell us, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So what does testing look like, and where do we do that? Let's look at Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 28. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So God's given us everything. He's given us a place to worship. He's given us a way to worship through our time, talents, and treasures. And although we love this place that he's given us, we're not supposed to worship this place. And although we love what people do in this church and these things like angel tree and stuff, those are wonderful forms of worship. But we're not supposed to worship the acts. We're supposed to worship the one where we perform the acts for. And he doesn't need it, but he loves it. When you guys do what you do here, God smiles. And he's glorified. But we need to be tested. It goes on to say in verse 27, why do we have all this and do all this? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. This feeling their way toward him is what I think is a great picture of testing. You get this idea if you're feeling your way around towards something that you're either blind and you're, or you're in the dark. And I think they're both scripturally accurate. In John 3, it says that light has come into the world, that's Christ, but men prefer what? Darkness. And it also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the prince of the air, who is our enemy, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they can't see the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we are both in the dark and, in, and blinded in some ways, living in this fallen world. So we need to, in the muck that we live in, feel our way around toward God, and feeling our way around toward God is very intentional, and it's continuing, continuing testing, not of God, but of us, about our objects of worship, about how we worship. And so without this intentional and humble effort of feeling our way around, we sort of will just allow uh, other gods to creep in, uh, we'll allow God to be redefined for us, and here we go being conformed. And so 
when that happens to us, God will either become undesirable, or if we're religious about it, he'll become unattainable. Because we're exchanging the truth about God for a lie and worshiping the creature instead of the creator. And so, wow, that's another big problem. So how can we tell when we're drifting? How can we tell when we're being conformed? Well, God has fearfully and wonderfully made us, and he's given these things to us called emotions. And uh, sometimes we use it in a negative way, and we say, why are you so emotional? Like it's bad or something. But I think these are actually our worship warning lights on the dashboards of our heart. And when we start worshiping and serving lesser gods, we and they get threatened or taken away from us or become dissatisfied to us. We go into emotional tailspins, and our enemy is an expert at hijacking our God-given emotions and our God-given capacity to worship and perverting them. When you pervert something, you take something that is meant for a particular purpose, and that purpose is good for you, and you use it for it's unintended purpose in a way that's bad for you. That's perversion. And we do that with so many things that God's given us, like sex, like money, like food. And so when that doesn't work out for us, we get emotional and we get worried and frustrated and maybe even angry. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that being worried or frustrated or angry is bad, but it does tell us something. They're like, worship blinking red lights on the dashboards of our hearts. So when you get emotional, you need to ask yourself, what, what is going on inside? What spirit is telling me what truth about this testing that's going on in my life? Is it Christ's spirit that's speaking to you, the one that gives you life and gives you hope through his righteousness, not yours? Is it the author and finisher of your faith or is it the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? I want you to turn to the people next to you and talk about this and answer this question. Are there any bad emotions? Go ahead and talk amongst yourselves. Okay, I'm not going to ask you for your answers. I'm just going to give it to you straight up. There are no bad emotions. There are only emotions gone bad. Okay, extreme worry is concern gone bad. Jealousy is desire gone bad. Despair is hope gone bad. Sinful anger is our sense of justice gone bad. Pride is our confidence gone bad. Idolatry is our worship gone bad. And idolatry shows up in extreme and in subtle ways through our emotions. So what we must do is hold every thought captive and balance the correct spirit and the correct truth to manage our emotions in our testing well, you don't know the tests that I'm going through, and I just go so emotional. I don't know why I'm so emotional. 
Well, I know, I know, but you know what's more important is that God knows. God knows. He's the one that gave you those emotions. And that's why the change can't come from inside of you. God has to do something supernatural in you through his spirit, through his truth. He needs to transform you by the renewing of your mind. And that means that he has to give you something that you don't have. He has to give you a spirit through Christ and a truth through Christ. Let me uh, just say that I'm not minimizing. Sometimes the tests that we go through are things that are beyond us. They don't happen to us because God's testing us because of our, our worship. Sometimes just bad things happen because other people sin and because we live in a fallen world. I'm not talking about this kind of testing. The kind of testing that I want to talk about is the testing that comes to us through our worship of lesser gods. And that doesn't work out for us and we, we, we hurt inside and we get tested and we get emotional because there's something going on. God is killing our flesh. God is killing our flesh and because we're sinners, it feels like suffering. It feels like suffering, but we have no idea what suffering really is, like Christ suffered for us. And it goes on, if you continue to read in Romans, it says that if we're going to share in his glory, then we also have to share in his suffering as well. So let me encourage you with this. We will never be perfect worshipers. Well, thank you. That's very encouraging. I'm not to finish. We will never be perfect worshipers. But in Christ and through the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us, we can worship perfectly. It's amazing. And it's by God's mercies that God, that Jesus is knowable. And who he can be in our lives is not a matter of testing him. It's a matter of testing us. You see, God has no potential. What do you mean God has no potential? What I mean by that is he's perfect. He's beyond improving. He has no potential in him. So when I say who can, he can be in your lives, we are the ones with potential. Potential is the gap between immaturity and maturity. You remember the parable of the sower and the seeds? In the parable, the soil represents what? It represents our hearts. And the seed represents God's truth, the gospel. And so it says this, beginning in verse 14. They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, so as far as our message goes, as they go on their way being tested, as they go on their way worshiping, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. But it says about others, verse 15, as, that, as for that in good soil, they are those who hear the word, hold it fast, and in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So are you being choked by immature fruit? Or are, you bearing, are you bearing fruit with patience? It says that they hold it fast. When they're tested, they hold it fast. And in an honest and good heart, that's the right spirit, the right truth. In their testing, they bear fruit with patience. And so what are you going through? How are you being tested? The gospel of Jesus Christ and the 
Jesus of the gospel are good and acceptable and perfect. Why? Don't miss this. It's because the gospel and the Jesus of the gospel have been tested and approved by God. Tested and approved by God. I think I missed a fill-in here, and that's what we're talking about, this testing and discernment. This is the necessary process of ongoing renewal that analyzes and approves your spirit and truth to be good and acceptable and perfect. Have you ever, guys, have you ever watched that, uh, those shows on the Discovery Channel or A&E or whatever, those, those gold mining outfits? Big deal. I like those shows, but it's interesting to watch them worship, isn't it? They mortgage their homes and they sacrifice their relationships with their families and they serve this effort to get some gold. Gold, there's gold in them there hills. <laughs> and they go through this huge effort that at the end of the process, at the end of the season, they have this jar full of ounces of gold. So that's not the point. The point is, is what they do with that gold. And the point is, is this testing that I'm talking about. They take it to somebody, they take it to, uh, I think the technical term is the gold tester guy. <laughs> and they take it to him, and he, what does he does? He tests the gold. He tests the gold to see what? Whether it's good and acceptable and perfect. And when he finds out the purity of the gold, what does he do? He stamps it approved. That's exactly the process and purpose behind our testing. To bring it to the tester guy. To God, to see what his will is. To make sure that it's good and acceptable and perfect. And so what are you going through? Let me ask you this too. There's also other testers in our lives. Who in your life do you have that can help you test and approve what the will of your God is. We don't say around here that life change happens best in small groups just because it's a catchy phrase. We believe that. We believe that because we need people alongside of us, other Christians, who will sacrifice their time and their effort and speak the truth and love to us and come alongside of us, help us in our testing, carry one another's burdens, so we can together grow in Christ. Together we can be transformed by the renewing our minds. So it also points to what I said earlier, that it's supposed to be an individual effort and a corporate effort. And it's the gospel in us and what we believe about Jesus through an active life of worship, and it should produce fruit in our lives and quench every single longing that we have for the things in this world. And this fruit ought to bring glory to God because of what is happening in us. And so the gospel in you, on your best day and on your worst day, will help you to love your, love your wife like Christ loved the church. That's mature fruit that brings glory to God and will bring peace to your marriage. You know, this worship, this renewing of our minds doesn't only bring glory to God, it brings satisfaction to us too. 
And so the gospel in you will give you the capacity to love your neighbor as yourself, no matter who they are, how they are, what they are. That's mature fruit through the renewing of your mind that shows how you're worshiping and who you're worshiping, gives glory to God, and will bring peace and joy to you in your life and those people in the lives, those people in your life around you. When the gospel in you helps you to love unlovable people, and other people see you loving unlovable people when they can't, they will want to know the God that you know. And that's mature fruit that is through your worship to God brings him glory. And it just might mean a life of eternity with God for somebody else. When the gospel in you causes you, when you see a need to take your time, talents, or treasures to be generous with a joyful heart and an excitement to meet a need, no matter how big or how small it is, you do that with excitement and joy and you can't not do it. That's mature fruit in you through the renewing of your mind that's a form of worship that brings glory to God. And although it might not mean much to the world, it might mean the world to somebody in need. When the gospel in you produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control because you know that that's what Jesus, how he treats you, and it produces that in your life and how you treat other people, that's mature fruit through your worship that brings glory to God and shows that you are truly abiding in Christ. And so here's the big answer to the big question. Why do we worship him? It's because we know as Christians, crystal clear, that we worship him because God served us first. He served us first, and he deserves our spiritual service of worship. We say it all the time, and I'll say it this way. We don't worship him so that he'll love us. He loves us, therefore we'll worship him. Mark 1.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Romans 5.8, But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to invite the band up here. We're going to end with a song. Do you remember the story about Jesus in the upper room? He was teaching the disciples a very, very important message that he wants to teach all of us. He was teaching them how to serve one another, how to bring glory to God by loving one another, and that looks like a particular thing. What was he doing up there? He washed their feet. He got uncomfortably close, and he knelt down, and he washed the disciples' feet, and, and their, their attitudes were stinkier than their feet, really. Peter says, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus, in his wisdom and his gentleness and his love, he said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you can have no part of me. And I think at that moment, Peter got an incredible glimpse of really who Jesus was and what he was trying to do. And he was washing more than their feet. 
He was washing all of them because Peter said, okay, then not just my feet, wash all of me. And so do you believe that Jesus wants to get uncomfortably close to you? That he wants to wash the things about you that are mucking up your worship, your spirit, your truth? Do you, wanna, do you know that Jesus wants to wash those parts of you that are dirtying up your view of him and your satisfaction of him? He might be doing that right now. He might be calling you and saying, unless you let me wash your feet, you can have no part of me. This spirit that we have, we not only have a connection with God, it's not a one-way communication thing. He speaks to us too. And worshiping starts with turning towards God, recognizing him for who he is and what he's done for you and allowing him to come into your life and wash you white as snow. Maybe it's been, you've never done that. You can do that right now. You only need to do it once. But as Christians, we ought to be doing that over and over and over again. Salvation is an event, but sanctification is a process. And we need to continually ask God to come and wash us clean because we're dirty worshipers, right? So maybe it's been some time and you've forgotten those unforgettable things that Christ has done for you. I really like this song, but I really love the God of this song. And I want you to just sit there and I want God's spirit to just pour over you and I want you to look at the words of this song and listen to the sweetness of the words of this song and understand and remember what Christ and God have really done for you and what he has in store for you. So let's listen. There you go. I love the line in that song that says that he rolls the stone away from every grave. When we turn from Christ and we worship other gods, we're going to find ourselves in the dark, in a grave. But he rolls those stones away. The thief comes to still kill and destroy. And he does that through our worship. But Jesus says that I have come and I have given you life, life to the fullest. And he can only do that through his spirit, his truth, and our worship of him. So I pray to God that you understand that. You understand how he made you and what you're capable of in your flesh, but also what possibilities there are in his spirit amazing. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love for us and what you've done for us, these amazing things that even though you breathed the galaxy into being that you think of us, 
God, you've made us worshipers. We, we repent for worshiping anything but you. We need your help. We need your spirit. We need your truth to be in us alive. That we would raise, we would praise and worship the living God. We know that you will do it in us if we would just turn towards you. So give us even the strength. Grant us repentance. Grant us our faith that we would live for you and bring you glory in our lives of worship. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have a great weekend.